if you have your Bibles this morning, would you go ahead and open them to the book of? All right, good. I'm glad you know what book we're in. That's a good thing. All right. Acts chapter 3. How come there's only one voice, though? All right. <laughs> Acts chapter 3. Um, we're continuing on in the book of Acts today. And so far, we've seen in, in just a few chapters the Holy Spirit working miraculously through the church. The, the Holy Spirit came upon 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and we know that it was by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Peter stood up and, and preached with boldness a, a sermon which led 3,000 to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And we, we talked a few weeks ago about how uh, these 3,000, they were devout Jews, but many of them were from outside of Jerusalem. And so here they are now. Um, they stay after the Feast of Pentecost because they want to learn more about who Jesus is. They're learning the apostles' doctrine. And then there are some in the church that are so generous that they sell what they have, right, in order that those could remain and learn. And so the early church was devoting themselves to learning the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And we talked about as a church how as we focus on these things, God, we believe God will continue to grow his church. Amen? And then last week we followed the story of Peter and John as they're on their way to the temple. And we talked about how the early church did not separate itself from the temple. Okay? The early church continued to go to the temple. They didn't separate themselves from Judaism. They actually saw themselves as fulfilled in their Judaism because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so here's Peter and John. They're heading to the temple, and they see a man by the gate called Beautiful who's been there for some time, and they're led to command the man in the name of Jesus to rise up and walk. And this miracle takes place. A man who was born lame, who lived lame for 40 years, stands to his feet, and he's jumping, and he's leaping, and he's praising God. And the miracle is not only did this man get muscle mass and strength, but he had balance and coordination, think about this, enough to jump and leap and praise the Lord. And so that's where we're picking it up today in verse 11. It says, while he, this is the man, he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus 
whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. May God bless the reading of his word today. So picture this. Here's a man, he's healed, and he's not letting go of Peter and John. (laughs) He's clinging to them, and he's inside this area that's just to the left of the gate where he had been healed, and this area was sometimes referred to as Solomon's Colonnade, okay? Here they are, they're standing in this area. This man who has been lame for 40 years can now walk into the temple courtyard just like everyone else. And it was in this very courtyard that Jesus had often taught. And remember, we said that last week, healing can be an amazing witnessing opportunity, right? When God does something amazing and it attracts the attention of many, it's a great opportunity to witness to his faithfulness. And so when Peter sees the crowd, he begins to speak up with some boldness. Verse 12, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or our own piety we made him walk? And so this lame man couldn't really give a testimony about who Jesus was because he didn't know Jesus, right? But here's Peter, and Peter knows who Jesus is. And the very first thing that Peter wanted to make very clear was that all the glory, the glory does not belong to him. All the glory belongs to God. He he denied it having anything to do with with his own power. You see, there's always this temptation, right, for, for us when something goes well to act like we're so wonderful, right? To, to take some of the attention, to take some of the, the glory, if you will. But Peter wants to make it clear, this is not about me and it's not about my power. Remember that at the very moment that Jesus was being tried for blasphemy, Peter had denied him with a curse. But now Peter's been restored and he is well aware that any power and any piety from himself is only Jesus working in and through him, Right? Peter has been humbled, and understand this, if you're following in the note sheet, here's the first fill-in. Humility is the acceptance of reality. Humility is the acceptance of reality. Humility can be thought of this way. It's not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but it's also not thinking more lowly of ourselves than we ought to, right? It's the acceptance of reality. And when we walk in humility before God, we understand that we are sinners saved by grace, and without Jesus, man, we could do absolutely nothing, right? Right? And so Peter wants to make it clear here, the glory belongs to Jesus. And and this is so necessary for anyone who wants to be an instrument of God. We need to understand this. Because if we don't understand and we don't accept the grace of God on our lives, how can we invite others to share in that grace, right? Psalm 51.17 makes it clear that God works through broken and contrite hearts. Honestly, if we take the glory for ourselves, for the message, or for the works of faith, we deceive people and we actually destroy the truth. At the same time, I want you to understand today, you're not too bad for God to work through you, okay? 
you're not too bad for God to work through you. The reality is a real assessment of how bad we are is a great starting point to be used by God. Just think about the Apostle Paul when Jesus confronts him on the road to Damascus, right? He's on his way to literally imprison Christians. He had stood by as Stephen was, was stoned. Later in his ministry, Paul's going to say, man, you want to talk about sinners? He says, I'm, I'm the worst of sinners. And God uses Paul's brokenness to establish churches all over Asia Minor. He uses his brokenness to give us a large part of the New Testament. And the majority of heroes in the Bible were humbled and broken before their ministries were truly fruitful. That was the case with Peter. We see it right here. Oswald Chambers once said this, before God can use a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. Verse 13, Peter goes on. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Do you see what Peter's doing here? He's building a bridge with his audience. He's saying, hey guys, I'm a, I'm a fellow Jew just like the rest of you. He's saying it's the God that you believe in, the one whom you worship, that sent Jesus the Messiah and glorified him. In other words, this is not a new religion, okay? This is not a, a break from the old ways and from Judaism, but rather it is a fulfillment of the scriptures that we see in Jesus Christ. He uses his term servant, which would have directed his listeners to the servant songs in Isaiah, which predicted the life of the Messiah. Those words servant and righteous one are, are both messianic titles, and they're found in Isaiah 53, 11. When he refers to Jesus as the Lord's servant, right away their minds would have gone to Isaiah 42 or Isaiah 53. And Peter's saying, Jesus here, he fulfills the office of servant. Continuing in verse 13, it says, Whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Pilate. We understand, as we understand, that the story there was determined to release Jesus, but it was the Jews that insisted he would be crucified. They, they wanted to release Barabbas. And the question really is why, right? You, you understand that story and you look through it, why, right? Why did the, the Jewish people demand Jesus' death? Well, really, when it comes down to it, Jesus didn't fit their expectations of Messiah. I mean, he refused to use violence to accomplish his mission, Jesus didn't even share in their hatred of the Romans. In fact, he told them, you know what, you guys ought to pay your taxes. They, they didn't like that very much. But here's the clincher, that he told them that the kingdom of God didn't come by observation, but it was inside of us. This is not what they expected, and this is not what they desired to hear. Listen, so many people turn away from accepting Jesus even today because Jesus doesn't fit their expectations right? I mean, we are our fallen sinful man, and so sometimes we think about God like a genie in, in a bottle, right? We want someone that we can command to fulfill our wishes. We don't really want someone who tells us what's best for us. We don't want someone who convicts us of sin. In fact, many people turn away from Jesus after they experience a tragedy in their lives. Why? Because God didn't change the circumstance the way they wanted him to, right? He didn't heal that loved one. He didn't give them that new job that they wanted. He didn't do whatever they thought should happen. But hear me, friends, we can't believe in a genie in a bottle God because that's not who God is. If that's your understanding of God, I want to encourage you today to turn from that, that false idea of God and be confronted with a God who is Lord of all. 
He is Lord of all. We have to come to this place really where we can accept his lordship over our lives and get rid of all of our our false expectations about how we believe things ought to be. And Peter says here, you denied, you denied the Holy One. That phrase Holy One is used 40 times in the Old Testament. And it's in connection always with the God of Israel. Peter is making it clear that Jesus is God. And he doesn't hold back from confronting people with the reality of their sin, okay? He, his preaching is very direct. It's not about winning friends and influencing people, right? He's not interested in tickling anyone's ears. He's very direct. He says to them, there's a problem between you and God. Verse 15, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Now, how can you kill the author of life? Well, we know he didn't stay dead, right? God the Father raised him up. But just think about how twisted and depraved the man has to be to choose a murderer over the author of life. So many people ask the question, who killed Jesus, right? It's amazing because in one moment, Peter seems to be building a bridge with his fellow Jews, and the next moment, it's like he's burning that bridge to the ground, right? He says, you guys, you killed the author of life. Understand, the Jews did not drive the nails into Jesus' hands and his feet, but certainly their choices did. And certainly our choices did as well. Jesus died for every choice that we would make to turn away from God and to, to go our own way. He did that in order that we would be forgiven and that we would have life in Jesus. You see, as Peter declares that, he is fulfilling the mission of Acts 1-8, right? He's, he's being a witness to the resurrection. But he says it in the plural. Listen to this. He says, we are witnesses. Because what? He's standing there with others, right? He, he's standing there with the apostles. In that time, two or more witnesses were needed in order to establish evidence in a court. In order for it to be true, it couldn't just be you. you got to bring somebody else with you. And here is Peter, listen to me, he's standing with all of the other apostles. And the heart of Peter's message is, Jesus is the Messiah whom you killed, but God raised him up from the dead. This is exactly what Jesus wanted them to proclaim to the world, because death is the consequence of rebellion against God. And eternal life is only found in accepting Jesus as the sacrifice, or we say the propitiation for our sins. Because here's the reality, death couldn't hold Jesus, and it won't hold those who place their faith in him, amen? This title, the author of life, though, think about it, it means even more to us today because we understand now that DNA is like a language, right? It communicates, actually communicates instructions. And it was the author of life that created this language, and he created all living things through the communication of that language to the cells that read and understand and even obey God. He goes on to say, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It's almost like he's southern there. He says, y'all, right? Remember, we spoke last week about how the Jews understood a, a name to represent a person's character and their, and their calling. And, and Jesus' name, it literally means salvation. Well, how do we receive salvation? Well, it isn't just in saying Jesus' name with the right pronunciation, right? Okay, this isn't an incantation. It isn't a magical skip spell. It's really about believing who he is and, and what he can do. In Jesus' name, 
It's not just a nice way to end a prayer, right? Understand today to do something in Jesus' name is to do it with Jesus' authority. So often we're, we're tested to, we're to trust in something else other than Jesus' name, aren't we? We're tempted to, to trust in our own talents and in our own giftings. We're tempted to rely on our reputation or maybe some prior successes that we had. And so Peter is saying it is through faith in who Jesus is that this man stands here in perfect health. Because the Jews didn't separate the physical and the spiritual. To, to the Jewish people, the physical always represented what was taking place spiritually. That's why in Joshua chapter 7, when the military is defeated, they don't say, oh, we need a bigger army or we just need to, to train harder, right? They understand, man, there must be a spiritual problem behind all of this, right? And so they get to the root of the problem, which was a spiritual problem. That's why so often when someone was ill, they thought, man, this must be a result of sin. And so if you carry that thought a little further, think about this. If they thought this man was ill because of his sin, then what did healing mean here? You see, the healing of this man who was lame from birth showed that our sinful condition from birth could actually be healed. Don't, don't miss this. The healing of this lame man from birth showed that our spiritual condition from birth could be healed. It showed that we could be made whole, that we could be made spiritually whole through faith in Jesus Christ, that we can have perfect spiritual soundness today, right? That we who were spiritually lame can now walk and leap and praise God. Amen? Verse 17, and now brothers... I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. And so Peter says to the people, I, I know you didn't realize what you were doing. It's exactly what Jesus said when he was on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? And, and so Peter builds a bridge with his fellow Jews, and then he seems to burn that bridge down. But here he comes, and he's encouraging them once again. He, he's bold enough to address their sin, but understand he doesn't hate them. He has a love for these people. In fact, I think Peter really felt for them. Two times in, in this passage, Peter accuses them of denying the Lord. Did you see that? Verse 13, Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Verse 14, but you denied the holy and righteous one. Peter saying, you denied him just like I did. But here's Peter. He's forgiven. He's, and he's saying, since God forgave me, I want you to receive forgiveness as well. Peter knew what it was like to deny Jesus. Oh, they may have done it in ignorance, but just because they did it in ignorance doesn't mean it doesn't matter, right? That, that's the way a lot of people think about sin today. They think, well, if I sin in ignorance, it doesn't count. No, that's not true, okay? You'll still be held to account. Of course, it's worse when you sin with a full knowledge of that sin, but sin is still sin, right, uh, regardless of our ignorance. Peter here, he's preaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And according to him, the leaders and the people didn't understand that they were killing the Messiah. They didn't understand that they were crucifying the Savior of the world. And in, in the same way, Paul acted in ignorance, right, when he was hunting down other Christians, right? And, and, I, and I know there are many who, acted, who act in ignorance today when they reject the truth of the gospel. They don't realize what, what they're doing. Maybe you share the gospel and they push back. They don't realize what they're doing. Or, or maybe it's something from their upbringing. Maybe it's, it's a past experience they had with the church. And yes, God understands where they're at today, but there comes a point 
in, in our lives when the Holy Spirit confronts us. And that's what he's doing to the crowd. Again, it was the miracle of a lame man that made him stop and think about the meaning of this man's healing. They're confronted head on with evidence that Jesus is actually the Messiah. And so there's this point of decision in their life. And the choice is clear. Verse 18, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He promised it and he fulfilled it. See, it was after the resurrection that Peter learned this from Jesus. Really, the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection were times when Jesus explained the scriptures that he had fulfilled, right? Because the apostles needed to see the continuity, right? The continuity with their forefathers in the faith. They needed to understand why Jesus' death was so necessary, and you and I need to understand why his death was necessary as well. You see, there are some very liberal churches today who reject the idea of the atonement. They, they reject the idea of the cross. They see it as somehow, that's, that's just too barbaric, that, that, that God would send his son to the cross. But they miss what Jesus is saying when he says, greater love has no man than this, right? That he would lay down his life for his friends. Now, why would anyone reject this? Why would anyone reject the atonement? Why would they do that? Because they don't want to believe that they're bad enough, right? They, they don't want to admit that they're so evil that only death can pay for their sins. This is the stumbling block over and over again. Man believes he can be good enough. <laughs> and and, and he, he can be good enough on his own to somehow earn salvation. I mean, think about it. Eve thought that she could disobey God and be like God at the same time. How crazy is that, right? And this is really the major difference between false religions and the gospel. It's the difference between works and grace. It's a difference between pride and humility. Look at verse 19. Peter says, in light of all this, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The Greek word translated repent is metanoeo, and it means to change one's mind. Peter is saying you need to have a change of mind. You, you need to reconsider who Jesus is. You, you need to turn around in, in your thinking and in your actions. Repentance, understand, is not just about being sorry or feeling sorry. It's about actually turning around. Repentance is hope because it's an understanding. Man, you thought wrongly, but now you can begin to think rightly, right, about who God is. Christianity, hear me today, it, it's not about turning over a new leaf. It's not about saying, I'll do better and I'll try harder and, and I'll work harder. It's about saying, God, would you change my life? Would you literally change my entire way of thinking? Would you change my direction? It's, it's about being a new creation in Christ Jesus. And, and so there's this call for repentance. Why? I think Peter really gives us in this passage, I want you to see Four benefits of repentance that I want you to see. Four benefits. The first one is this, that our sins are blotted out. Our sins are blotted out. In order that the record of your sins, he says, might be wiped away. Our sins are blotted out. In other words, the record of our sin is erased. You see, Jesus deals with, with a rap sheet, if you will, and some of you got a pretty long rap sheet, right, if you're honest. I mean, we all got a rap sheet. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. 
But there are some that think, man, every good thing I do crosses off one bad thing, right? And so if I come to the end of my life and I've done more good than bad, then I'm good, right? But that way of thinking is just wrong. Why? Because God is a righteous judge. I want to challenge you next time you're on trial for doing something wrong, I want you to tell the judge how good you are, right? The next time you get caught speeding, you don't have to deny breaking the law like that. Just let the judge know, hey, all last week I didn't speed. Just, just want to let you know, right? Like, Your Honor, I was speeding on that day on that one occasion, but the whole week before I obeyed the law, and so I should get credit for those seven days, even though I was doing 90 on the Palisades, right? What would the judge say? He'd say, I'm sorry. You're guilty, right? We got proof. We got, we got the camera, man. You're, you're guilty. But here's the reality. We try to do the same thing all the time with God, right? And when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, we brush it off and say, well, I was good yesterday, right? I was good all last week. What's, what's one little sin? But here's the reality. When we repent and we turn away from our sins, that sin is blotted out. Understand the ink in that time, it's amazing, it didn't have any acid in it. And so when they would write with it, it wouldn't cut into the paper like ink does today. And so you could literally take a cloth and you could wipe that parchment, you could wipe the ink right off of it. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, the the prophet is rebuking the people of God for their evil deeds. But then in chapter 6, Isaiah sees the Lord and he realizes how unclean he is, right? He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and yes, I live among a people of unclean lips. It's, it's not just others, right? When we understand how sinful we are, it's not just those people out there that have a sin issue. We understand, man, I have a sin issue, and Isaiah in that moment is undone. And, and again, God is bringing him to a place of brokenness in order for him to be an instrument of God's grace. He had to see, he had to see how bad he was before he could be cleansed and before he could be healed. Look at verse 20. I love this verse. It says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Underline that verse. Circle that verse. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. There's the second benefit of repentance. Fill it in. Times of refreshing. That we would be refreshed. What a benefit, amen, that God brings uh, refreshing to his people. I don't know about you, but in this place this morning, my wife and I were driving and we were just saying, man, it's one of those seasons, right? There's so much going on, but thank God for his presence this morning. Thank God that he refreshes his people as we turn from our sin and we turn to him. Not only does he blot out our sin, but he refreshes us. When you're living in sin, when you're living a sinful life, it, it's a tiring place, Right? To, to be in that place and just be worn out by, by the sin and by the consequences of your sin. But when you turn from that, God promises refreshing. Verse 21, he says, Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This verse really gives us an understanding of the second coming and the, the lifting of the curse that came at the fall. Every individual whom God has predestined to come into the kingdom must come into the kingdom before his return. This is one of the reasons that we witness, right? This is one of the reasons that we we go out and share because we believe that the bride of Christ must be complete. And only at that point will the curse that came from sin be lifted from the earth. earth. Verse 22, he says, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him 
in whatever he tells you. Peter is declaring here that Jesus was the one that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. I hope you understand, church, that every time you open the word of God that he speaks to you. Amen? Every time that you're still before him, he can speak to you. The question is not whether God is speaking, it's rather whether we're listening, right? And then the next question is, are you obeying what you hear? The the very first thing that God will speak to our hearts often is to repent and to turn from sin and to receive forgiveness and to actually let him be Lord of our lives. And that's the beginning of a relationship with him. And, And from that point, I want to tell you, he has so much more that he wants to speak to you. He has so much more that he wants to say to you. Verse 23, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And this is a strong warning from Peter, but it's it's a warning that's been there from the beginning because we understand that God is just and he has provided a way for us to be restored. He's provided a way for us to be forgiven. But if we reject that way, we're going to have to pay for our sins ourselves. Our world speaks a lot about justice today. But what is justice for a soul that rejects the love of God? Like, what is justice for the one who tells the creator of the universe, I got no need for you? Like, what does that look like? Well, Jesus declares in John 3, 18, he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I think that passage is very clear. Our world says, man, there's many paths to God, and they would say a, a view like this, that Jesus is the only way, that's, that's closed-minded, that's bigoted, right? Now, if you ask them if Jesus was narrow-minded, they probably say no, but you show them a passage like this, and they're going to come up with excuses. Listen to me. Man has always had a lot of excuses through the, wor- through, through the years for not believing in God, right? But here's the third benefit of repentance, that we are spared from the promised judgment. We are spared. That's something to be excited about, right? We are spared from judgment. Very simply, for those who reject Jesus, judgment awaits. Because there are those who will hear the gospel, they'll hear what God has done, what Jesus has done, and they'll say, you know what, no thanks. And for many in the world, it's not enough that Jesus made a way to the Father. They'll say, well, that's one way, but you know, God should make some other ways, right? Like the cross is good, but can you do something else too? Maybe another option, I would say to them today, what more can he do than send his only son? (laughs) That he would take our place. God offers a way out and the way out of sin, a way away from judgment, and it's based on the covenant that he made with Abraham. Remember, God's plan was to bless the world. He would bless the world with what Jesus did. Jesus was sent to bless you. Jesus came to bless and not to condemn. And I want to tell you today, if you receive Jesus Christ, if you receive that forgiveness that comes from the cross, you will be blessed. Verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. What is Peter saying here? Well, well, he's, he's really repeating the point that he made in verse 18. Now, I don't know of any prophecy that Samuel made about Jesus, but, but he must have Jesus must have explained to the disciples how each prophet in some way was pointing to to him, right? Each prophet was pointing to this time when 
the good news would go out to the whole world. But he's saying all the prophets' predictions are fulfilled in the life of Jesus, and this shows us that he is actually the Savior of the world. It's interesting because many Muslims actually accept the biblical prophets as being true and being genuine, and that's a place where we can connect with them, right? That's a place where we can point them to to Jesus Christ. Of course, here, as, as Peter speaks, the Holy Spirit is inviting these Jews to really look at their own scriptures. Verse 25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so Peter builds this bridge with his fellow Jews, and then it almost seems like he burns that bridge to the ground. But as the Holy Spirit brings conviction, now Peter wants to encourage them. He wants to encourage the Jews that they can now enter into this promised blessing, the blessing that would come from Abraham to all his descendants is salvation that Jesus paid for on the cross. The blessing today is is forgiveness of sins, amen? It's a restored relationship with God for all who would come to God by faith in the work of Jesus on the cross. Verse 26, God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I think if Peter could go back and listen to his message, maybe he'd go back and listen to the the sermon podcast later on, right? He, he, would, he would recognize that the words that he was speaking through the Holy Spirit, I'm sure he'd recognize this is just the beginning of the gospel proclamation that would go out into all the world. But it would take a revelation on a rooftop later on. We're going to see this for Peter to take the next step and to bring that same gospel to the Gentiles. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 10. But I want you to understand more than anything today, that blessing is available to you. That blessing is available to you today. The fourth benefit or blessing of repentance. It's amazing because it's a, it's a blessing that some people don't want. And you may say to me, well, pastor, like, who doesn't want a blessing, right? We all want a blessing. But here's the fourth one is this. God wants to bless you by turning you from your wickedness. Picture this. Jesus is saying, I, I have a blessing for you. Oh, that's great, Jesus. So you know what? Bless me, Lord, right? We want the blessing. He says, my blessing is to turn you away from your sins, from, from my sins, right? Sure, I, I want the blessing, God, but you know what? I kind of like my sins. <laughs> I, I kind of want to just hold on to that thing for, for just a little bit longer. And Jesus would say to you today, if you're going to follow me, I'm going to work in your life to turn you from sin. And here's the question today. Is that what you actually want? You know, this solves a theological problem that many have. Because here's the reality. You can come to Jesus as you are today. You don't need to clean yourself up before you come to him. You can bring him all of your sin and your shame. You can bring to him all those things that are hidden in your life, but all those things that that everybody knows about as well, right? You can bring that to Jesus today. And I want to tell you, if you bring that to him today, because of what he has accomplished on the cross, he will embrace you. But understand, as Jesus embraces you, he's going to speak and maybe even whisper into your ear, and he's going to say, I'm going to change your life. And understand, at that point, there are two responses you could have. You can either push him away and say, no, thanks, I'm good. I kind of like my life where I am. I'm comfortable, Jesus. Or you can hug him back, and you can surrender him to him. And you can say, yes, Jesus, would you change me? 
But the real question today is, is that what you want? Would you stand with me today? Is that what you want? More than just a, a genie in a bottle. More than just a, a God who would give you what you think you need. Do you want a God that can actually change your life and change your mind and change the way you live? Is that what you want? And I'm just being real this morning because many people don't want it. There are many people who come to church in their sin and they, they like things the way they are. <laughs> Say, oh, I, I, Pastor, I know it's wrong, but I, I, I really don't want to stir things up right now. I'm, I'm young, I'm good. But understand, when that's your position, you're pushing Jesus away. You're looking to God as a genie in a bottle to fix what you think needs to be fixed. All the while, you're living in spiritual brokenness. Some of you are just living in, in spiritual lameness. And, and there's a blessing for you today. It's a blessing of turning from our sins. We have forgiveness Forgiveness always follows repentance, and repentance a transformed, and a transformed life cannot be separated. It's amazing because some people claim to have forgiveness, but they go on with their sinful lives and they never change. Hear me today, of course, we're not perfect, but the moment that we're saved, our lives are now a new creation, amen? And so we turn from wickedness and we turn toward righteousness. There may be a lot of habits in, in your life that you need to break. and Maybe there's thinking this morning that needs to be renewed, but that happens by the Word of God. It happens by the Spirit of God as you allow Him to work in your life. When you hear the word repent, I want you to think more than just turn and burn, right? Because that's all we hear, repent. Are you going to burn, right? There's more than that. There's so many blessings, church. As you repent, your sins are blotted out. Times of refreshing flow into your life. You're spared from the promised judgment and you're turned away from that sin that would desire to destroy you. With heads bowed around the room this morning, I can't move on from this moment without asking. If there's anyone here today and you would recognize you've been looking to God as a, a genie in the bottle, but you haven't surrendered your life to Him. You've been looking to Him to to guide your life the way you want it to work out, but you haven't surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. Forgiveness is available today. But I want to tell you, if you invite him into your life, he's going to change you. <laughs> he's going to change you by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so heads bowed around the room. Is there anyone today that would say, Pastor, I want to turn today, today. I want to turn to Jesus. I want to surrender to him today. I'm tired of going my own way, doing my own thing. Anyone today that would just by an upraised hand say, today's the day. I want to surrender. I want to surrender to the work of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Trust me as I'm looking around the room that many of you have made that decision. As we worship today, allow the Holy Spirit to pull you close. There may be an area in your life that you're still struggling with. Allow Him to speak to you. He wants to change you. And as he speaks to you by his spirit, would you just surrender to him this morning? As we worship, let that be your heart. Let that be your posture.